Bible, please, open it to 1 Timothy, uh, chapter 1. Last week we were in chapter 3 uh, when we were looking at the office of deacon, but we're going back to chapter 1 today to finish chapter 1. So chapter 1, starting at verse 8, uh, we'll start today's reading. Chapter 1, verse 8. I'll read God's word and then I'll pray for us before we get into this text together. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. This is the word of the Lord. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for, the, for murderers, for the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I char this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray first. Father, we thank you for your word we thank you that it is your revealed will, that it is perfect in every way. Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us through it. You're a God who communicates, and we're thankful for that. You have not left what you, how you want your church to be up for our imagination, but you have let it down in Scripture. And we're thankful for that. Father, help us today as we come to your word to, to listen to the voice of the person of the Spirit that he might speak to us through the word that he penned. Help us. Help us to understand it. We need you. We need you this morning to give us ears to hear. To help us. 
Father, we come into this room this morning with a variety of needs, a variety of life circumstances, and Father, we pray that through the person of the Spirit that you would minister to us this morning, whatever we face, illness, mental health issues, career difficulty, whatever may face us, family strife, whatever may face us this morning, we pray that you would minister to us through the person of the Spirit and through your word. Give us what we need this morning. Father, we pray for our land this morning where saints will gather up and down the length and breadth of this country this morning. We pray for them. We pray that you would encourage them and strengthen them. And we pray that you would give them grace. Father, we pray again this morning for our leaders. Pray that you would give them wisdom, strength. Father, I pray that they would lead well. Father, I thank you that you are here with us. You are amongst us. You are moving. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yes, we are continuing our series this morning in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And I want to begin by saying this this morning. All Christians, all Christians are called into gospel ministry. All Christians are called into gospel ministry. One of the great doctrines that was reestablished during the Reformation was the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. And that, what that means is this, that every follower of Christ is called to be a gospel minister. Now, we need to understand what that means. What does it mean to be a gospel minister? Well, it means this. For you, if you're a follower of Christ, if a friend is struggling and in need of prayer, you can pray for them with full confidence that God will hear your prayer. Has someone come under conviction of sin and, and wants to look to Christ for grace and salvation? You can lead them in that. When the struggles of life seem to be too much to bear alone, and a friend is in need of wisdom, you can open up the Scriptures and take them to the Scriptures and lead them in that. Perhaps a neighbor or a friend has a need that they, don't, they cannot meet and they don't know where to turn. You are, as a follower of Christ, to love them as yourself and lead them and minister to them. You, the body, are gospel ministers. That's what it means, the priesthood of all believers, and every believer has been called into this. And the reason why I'm saying this this morning, the reason why I'm prefacing my, my sermon this morning with this, is this, when we come to a letter such as 1 Timothy that I explained on week one, that the apostle Paul, an elder in the church, has written to Timothy, another elder in the church, sometimes we think as we gather, well, that's for, for ministers, for elders, for pastors. That, that's not, that doesn't really pertain to me. And I just want to say that that is wrong. It does. It does. And so what Paul writes to Timothy has meaning for us. 
This letter is for all believers. And so when I use the word minister this morning, think of you if you're a follower of Christ. When I use that term, gospel ministry, think of yourself this morning. Because if you're a believer, that is what you're called to, gospel ministry. You should be a a minister of the gospel. And what we see this morning in this letter, at the end of chapter 1, Paul wants to draw Timothy's attention to his salvation as an example. And the, and the first thing I want us to draw our attention to, to this morning is this. It's in verse 11 there. Paul is thankful. The apostle Paul is thankful for the undeserved privilege that it is to serve Christ and his people. Verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength. That's the first nature of, of gospel ministry, of true gospel ministry. It is, it is being thankful for the undeserved nature of what we do. Paul is reflecting on the fact that not only has he been saved, but he's been called as an apostle, as an, a, preacher, a preacher of the gospel. He's been called to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ by which he is staggered. He he can't get his head around this. The thought that God would have allowed him of all people to be someone who is allowed to preach and teach the gospel is mind-blowing for Paul. Remember who he was. The Apostle Paul was the greatest single threat to the existence of the church in the early stages. He himself was the single greatest threat to the continuation of the early church. If you had named one person to the church who they would might have been most afraid of at the time, they would have said, Saul. His name would have been on top of that list. In fact, he had been extremely successful in terms of persecuting the church, harassing Christians. It was his desire. It was this man here who has just written this letter. It was his desire to wipe out this heretical sect as he sought these followers of the way as he sought his his goal his life's aim was to wipe them off the face of the planet you see they were an affront to him they were an affront to his service to the living god as he thought it to the teachings of moses as he thought it and they needed to be wiped out Paul, who was there holding the cloaks as people picked up the stones to kill Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian church, this man was determined to wipe the church off the face of the map.
He rejected Jesus as the Messiah. He rejected Jesus as Lord. And he wanted everyone else to do the same. And that Paul, God called into gospel ministry, the fact that he had called him stunned him. Stunned him. And every time he thought about it, he was moved. And here he is telling Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he has considered me faithful. The thought that God had not only called him out of darkness into light, but then said, here, 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 son. Go and do the work. Go and do the work. Be the preeminent missionary in the church. It stunned the Apostle Paul. And it made him thankful. I wonder, as I was reading this this week and studying this this week, I wonder, do we have that same sense of awe when it comes to one, being saved, and two, being called to minister? You see, it's not just that God has saved us in Christ Jesus. It's not just that He has saved us, but He has said here, Go, you now do the work. You be the missionaries. You be the preachers. You be the ones who take this message to the world. And Paul realizes and is thankful for this undeserved privilege that he has. And as he's telling Timothy about this, he's showing Timothy the nature of gospel ministry. As he explains what it is what it, about his conversion and his, his sending out, he is, he's explaining something about what it is for us all to be in gospel ministry. And he's saying four things. One, he's saying this, gospel ministry is a thankful ministry. Two, gospel ministry is a dependent ministry. Three, gospel ministry is an undeserved ministry. And four, gospel ministry is just that. It is ministry. It is service. So, I want to go through those four very, very briefly. Gospel ministry is a thankful ministry. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. When Paul thinks about who he was and what he was doing... And now that he is in service of Christ, loved by him, accepted by him, given responsibility by him, ministering to the church, Paul is thankful. That is his overwhelming feeling that he is just, he has gratitude for this calling. Paul is so staggered by the fact that Christ called him, saved him, set him out in service. And he's, thank, he's so thankful for it. it is, he is absolutely mind-boggled that Christ would entrust him with this privilege. And he's thankful. Now you contrast that. You contrast this thankfulness with so much of the constant complaining that we hear today. 
You contrast the Apostle Paul's thankfulness with so much complaining that we hear today about the difficulties of service, about the difficulties of ministry. And, and, and with all due respect, we, we know nothing about it. Here's Paul, who had been beaten, who had been shipwrecked several times, whose life had been in danger multiple times, who had been kicked out of cities multiple times, who had caused riots in cities because of his faithfulness to the gospel and because of his preaching of the gospel. Here's the Apostle Paul saying what? I am thankful. I'm thankful that I get to do this. And the reality is we spend a lot of our time complaining Some of the church in the world today, places like Indonesia and Muslim, or in Muslim-dominated countries, will experience some of the things that the Apostle Paul experienced. As I say, beaten, kicked out of cities, top of the Jewish hit list, hunted down by his own people, wanted by the Roman government. Some people in the world today will experience this. But the reality is, we, we, we get annoyed and we get upset if someone says a wrong word to us. And we complain about the beautiful thing that has been placed in our hands, and that is gospel ministry. Paul is grateful. The first mark of, of the Apostle Paul's ministry is gratitude. Second thing we notice here is that it is dependent. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me. Paul knows, the Apostle Paul knows, it doesn't matter how smart he is, and he was smart. It doesn't matter how much he knows, and he knew a lot. It doesn't matter how zealous he is, and he was zealous. He was persecuting the church in every way. It doesn't matter about any of those things. It doesn't matter how, how faithful he is. It doesn't matter. What makes the difference in success in gospel ministry is depending on God. That's what makes the difference. It is the strengthening of the Lord that makes the difference. It's the strengthening of the Lord who made him faithful. It is the strengthening of the Lord who used him in his service. And folks, we need to remember that. You need to remember that. Because I know that most of us are petrified of sharing the gospel. Or most of us are petrified of, of, of serving Jesus in our community. Most of us are petrified by this. But the very basic thing is this. We need to remember that it is not us that this depends on. It depends on the strengthening of God. It is a dependent ministry. I said as we, as we were in chapter 1, at the start of chapter 1, what, what, what Scripture does for us is lay out both the message and the method of how we should do church. And the message is the gospel, and the method, method is being dependent on God. That's what it is. 
When you hear someone say, oh, this particular program works, or this is the key to ministry, or if we just do this, or this, or that, everything will be fine. It is very clear that they do not understand 1 Timothy. And what Paul is saying about gospel ministry. If we run the the five steps to a better life program, then everything will be better. The gospel then will take on new legs and just run. And and, and there will be revival come to our friends if we do five steps to a better whatever. That is not what the Apostle Paul did. And it is not what the Apostle Paul says. The Apostle Paul says gospel ministry is God-dependent ministry. And it is him that does the work. It's him that does the work. The gospel ministry that you're involved in and I'm involved in entails a believer preaching to those who are dead in sin and telling them to come to Christ. Now, I don't care what program you're on. When someone is dead in sin and you preach the gospel to them, it is not the program that is going to save them, but it is the Holy Spirit coming and taking a life and wrestling that life from the pit and putting it on Christ the rock. That's what will do it. Not the program. It is the Spirit moving, God moving. We cannot do anything. Gospel ministry is a dependent ministry. Thirdly, Paul acknowledges that his is a, and ours, is an undeserved ministry. I thank Christ, grateful, who has strengthened me, dependent, because he considered me faithful. Now, we could very easily misunderstand that verse, and we need to pause and just and think about this for a moment, because it's not as if Paul is saying, God looked down on me and thought, all oh, right, Paul's going to be a great fella, so I'll bring him in. He's brilliant. He's faithful. So let's, let's get him on board, and then everything will be good. No, that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying it flows into the next verse. Paul is is just amazed that God has considered him to be entrusted with this message. Look at what he says about himself in the next verse. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. Paul is saying that I am staggered that God would look on me And allow me to do this. I can't believe it. I can't believe that the Lord in his mercy would not only save me, but he would let me minister to the people whom I once wanted to kill. Let me put this into some sort of perspective. Imagine if I was to come up here today and say to you guys, right here, do you know what? I've found the man. I have found the man. Going to be our first church planter. I've found him. His name is a guy you might be familiar with. His name is Osama bin Laden. Right? 
That's him. He's going to Hilltown. He's going to plant. That's what's going to happen. Osama, come on up. We'll have the crack. Now, the first question you're asking is, John, what, just drug, what drugs did someone give you this morning before you come in here? But that is to the degree that the Apostle Paul was turned around. Do we understand that? Here's someone who was killing Christians. Hated the church. And is now the preeminent missionary to the world. It is undeserved. The ministry that we're involved in is undeserved. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. It is a privilege. It is an honor that we do not deserve. Paul is amazed that he's been chosen and so should we. If you're not sitting here this morning as a follower of Christ and thinking to yourself, I don't deserve to be anywhere near this. I don't deserve to sing songs about God. I don't deserve to, when we come, I don't deserve communion. I don't deserve to worship. I don't deserve to be a part of this church. I don't deserve, I don't deserve. If, if we're not thinking that, we have not got a good grasp of who we are. We do not deserve it. And yet, we have been called into it if we're in Christ. It is an undeserved ministry. And fourth, notice one last thing Paul says is this. That it is ministry. It's service. He considered me faithful, putting me into service. And that's what gospel ministry is. It is to serve. Now, we all, you know, we, we all love to quote uh, Christ. When we say we, we, you know, we didn't come to, we didn't come to be, we didn't come to be served. We came to serve, you know. And that's all well and good until someone treats you like a servant. And then how do we respond? Who do they think they are? Treating me like that. This is service. You have been called in to service. Just as Christ gave himself for us, we are to give ourselves. That's what it is. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Here we have the Apostle Paul following in the footsteps of Jesus, calling himself a servant. And every believer who has ever walked the face of the planet and every believer who will ever walk the face of the planet follows in that line. 
And we are all but servants. Servants. So the ministry, the ministry that you're involved in, the ministry I'm involved in is thankful ministry. It is dependent ministry. It is an undeserved ministry, and it is just exactly that. It is ministry. But a true gospel minister remembers what he was, what he or she was, apart from the grace of Christ Jesus. Look at what Paul says here. Though formerly, in verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul gets it. He gets it. Paul is probably one of the most self-aware people you'll ever read of or ever hear of. He gets who he was. He understands the state that he was in before Christ. And you see, we need to understand the state that we are in before Christ so that we can appreciate who we are in Christ. We will never appreciate the good news of the grace of the gospel unless we are fully aware of who we were before the gospel grasped us. We need to understand our inability to try to be good, to try to keep the law, to try to make us right with God. We need to understand, as Paul understood, our need for mercy and grace. And what he's doing here is he's, he's taking this and he's pressing this home to this young pastor. Because he's, gonna, he's saying, this is your ministry, Timothy. This is it. It's all the gospel. We often say it here, you never get beyond the gospel. This is what he wants young Timothy's ministry to be all about. Teach people who they are, teach people who they are because they need to know who they are before they can ever see the riches of Christ and what he does for them. Timothy, you need to understand the only way of being declared right with God is the gospel. It is the work of Christ alone, the work of the Holy Spirit drawing alone. It is nothing else, Timothy. The true gospel minister remembers what he was and is apart from the grace of God. Jesus. And a true gospel minister is always mindful, always mindful of the trans transforming power and sufficiency of the grace of Jesus Christ. F verse 14, Paul speaks about the grace of our, our Lord overflowed for me. Verse 15 and 16 are 
are probably some of my, this is a, a thing a preacher says, like for every verse in scripture, but genuinely, I think verse 15 and 16 are two of my favorite verses in scripture. The saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And look what Paul says, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And if I could basically sum up what Paul is saying there, is saying this, if I can get in on this, anyone can. If I can get in on this, anyone can. If God can show me grace, as Paul calls himself, the worst of sinners. If he can show me grace, he can show anyone grace. And he says this then, and I love this. The very reason he showed me grace, the, the very reason was to be this example to the world that if I can get in, anybody can get in. If I can get in on this, Anyone can get in on this. Christ is using me as an example. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Folks, that's exactly why he came. To save sinners. He didn't come ultimately to be an example for us, although he is. He didn't come as a life coach. He didn't come as a good teacher. He came as a savior to save sinners. And Paul says, of whom I am the foremost. This incidentally should be everybody's every single person's view of themselves. This should be everyone's view of themselves. Where Paul says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. That should be every single believer's view of themselves pre-Christ. If you don't get that, if you are sitting in here this morning and you do not and cannot consider yourself to be the worst of sinners pre-Christ, I am not sure that you understand the gospel. Because the reality is, we are all sinners, bar none. The Bible is abundantly clear. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Just because the Apostle Paul held the coat of those who stoned Stephen makes him no worse than you or me. We should all declare with the Apostle Paul, 
this saying is trustworthy. The Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. There's a song we sing, you'll know it. The lyrics go like this. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And beheld God's love displayed, you suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me, and now all I know is grace. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. That's the gospel. All we have is Christ. All we have is Christ. Paul realized it. And so should we. Now, just at the end of the chapter, Paul gives a charge and he gives a warning. The charge is to young Timothy. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. The charge is this. We're back to the main point of the the letter. Watch your life, Timothy, and watch your doctrine. Watch your life and watch your doctrine. The charge is this, hold to the gospel. Do not waver from the gospel. Do you see what Paul has done? Paul has used himself as an example, and he's saying, Timothy, I charge you with this. Hold to this. Do not waver from it. Do not go anywhere from it. Do not leave this. The charge is hold on to the gospel. Sound doctrine and watch your life. But then there's a warning. And the warning is this. By rejecting this, what is this sound doctrine? By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. And Paul has no shame in naming names. These two characters, Hymenaeus and Alexander, Paul has handed them over to Satan that they might learn not to blaspheme. No messing about with the Apostle Paul. Why is there no messing about with the Apostle Paul? Because ultimately what what is at stake here is the gospel. I take it from this letter that these two characters had been causing division in the church, teaching a different gospel, teaching something other than the gospel, and Paul has kicked them out. And handed them over to Satan so that they might learn. The charge, hold to the gospel. Sound doctrine. Watch your life. The warning, don't be like these guys. As I finish today, folks, here's how I want to finish. Paul is someone who knew who he was. A sinner. Paul knew who he was. He was a sinner. He knew his own heart. 
He was amazed that God would even consider him. Never mind save him. And he was unbelievably amazed that he would call him into his service. But that's the God that we have. Not only does he save, not only does he redeem, he calls in to service. That service, that ministry is grateful. It is dependent. It is undeserved. And it is exactly that service. But that's what we're called to. Every single believer. We're to serve as Christ served us. By dying to ourselves for the sake of others. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks to us and it shows us what you want from us. And Father, as we look at the example set by the Apostle Paul today, someone who just gets it, someone who just understands who they were, dead in their sin, but someone who understood wonderfully the grace of the gospel. Help us. Help us to see clearly who we are apart from your grace. Father, I pray that if there is anyone in this room this morning who is feeling the conviction of their sin and who they are apart from Christ, that you would lead them to Jesus this morning and see that he came to save them. I pray your, your spirit, Lord, would continue to move amongst us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.